Welcome to this episode of Back to the Point. And guess what? We're back! I don't even know how long it's been since the last podcast I recorded. I think it was 2021. Uh, yeah, so it's been, it's been a bit, but I'm excited to be back. Um, I'm really excited to be back. This is, we've got some great ideas for this, this relaunch. We've got some really cool guests that we're lining up right now. So, um, stay tuned on this episode. Uh, I had the opportunity to sit down with principal Adam Lewis, who I've recorded a podcast with, uh, before and just, I just love talking to him. He's got a great accent, but also just the way he talks, you're, you're basically ready to run through a brick wall when he's done talking. It's, it's unbelievable. And, uh, I'm excited for all you, for all of you to hear it. Uh, we, we kind of went from our last podcast forward and our last podcast was recorded in September, 2020. Um, I'm sorry, September, 2019. So it was right before the pandemic. So we talked about the lessons that came out of the pandemic. We talked about kind of everything that's been implemented and developed at BC High since then, including the house system, which is just the coolest thing ever. The more I learn about it, the more I love it. And we, we just talked about uh, some of the things that Adam is excited about this year um, and looking forward to and, and some of the goals and initiatives that he has going for uh, for this school year, for, for teachers, for students, for the school. And it was great. So Principal Adam Lewis, this episode, it's going to be phenomenal. Before we get to that, though, I want to make sure I plug a few things here. Um, I'm excited to tell all of you listening that the Murphy Family Stadium is now open. I walked by. I walked by it today. I got a. I got a little campus tour. It was phenomenal. It, it looks amazing, and there will be a family uh, Murphy Family Stadium dedication on October 28th. So come back to campus. Check out all the changes because. We've got the Murphy Family Stadium. We've got new turf on McCoy Practice Field. And there's this giant BC High shield in the middle of it that I'm pretty sure you can see from like the moon. Uh, it's huge. It's awesome. All the planes coming in to Logan can can look down and see it. Um, that's pretty cool. There's a there's a um, a new uh, kind of upgrade to the entrance of the school, which looks phenomenal. The place looks incredible. It looks like a state-of-the-art Division One college campus and come back to campus come back to campus on the 28th october 28th to see the dedication of the murphy family stadium and check out everything else while you're here it's awesome phenomenal on that note if you come back to campus by the time you hear this school will be in full swing the students are back i'm on campus right now as i'm recording this there's a great energy here it it's awesome so come on back to campus check it out feel this energy check out all the upgrades it's awesome Oh, speaking of students, if you have a potential future eagle in your life uh, who's thinking about BC High or someone that you might want to consider BC High, there's going to be an open house on November 5th. Uh, So I remember my open house experience, super overwhelming, but also something that really kind of made me think for the first time, like, hey, I might want to go to BC High. That place seemed pretty cool. November 5th, here on campus, open house. Let's do it. Uh, BCI's Instagram is also something I want to plug. Um, at BC High Eagles is the handle. I follow it. It's a great follow. They do a lot, they do a great job of 
kind of giving you insight into what's going on on campus on a day-to-day basis, big events, uh, little things, you know, games, et cetera, all of it. And it's just, it's a great way to keep connected to the school. It's a great way to see what's going on. So go ahead and follow at BC High Eagles. Um, and the last thing I wanted to say, I'm excited to be back doing this again. Uh, I have a blast doing it. I, I hope that's apparent, but I love doing this. And I'm really excited that we're back. But I want to make sure that this is something that everyone enjoys and is interested in and uh, has a great time listening to. So I'm very open to um, feedback and any suggestions you guys have. So if any of that bubbles up when you listen to this episode or any episode, shoot a quick email to back to the point at bchigh.edu. Kaylee Menin, who's been someone I've been working with on this, uh, she and I are going to be monitoring that inbox and we're going to read every email, take it seriously. We want to hear any suggestions you have to change a format, new guests, whatever you guys want. Just let us know and we'll take it seriously and we'll uh, we'll incorporate anything and everything we can to make this just a, an awesome listening experience. So uh, I think that's all the housekeeping I have. So Principal Adam Lewis, let's go. All right, welcome to this episode of Back to the Point. I'm here with Principal Adam Lewis. Uh, this is actually the second time you and I have sat down. It's hard to believe. Uh, and we're, we're recording this on a, on a what it became uh, a very sunny uh, September 12th. But the last time we spoke was around this time four years ago. Four years ago. So uh, for the listeners, and just to frame this particular conversation, um, if you want to hear about Adam's story about how he got to BC High, um, go back and, and listen to that episode. Um, it's a, it's phenomenal. We had a great conversation. We're going to have another great conversation today. Um, but I want to kind of pick up in 2019 and go forward from there. So when I spoke to you, you you were kind of new, getting getting uh, kind of integrated into the school. Um, can you talk a little bit about your first year at the school there in 2019? What that was like, um, you know, some of the things you learned, et cetera. Yeah, Rick, happy to. And thanks again for the opportunity to share a conversation. Um, so, yeah, when we last spoke, I was just learning the BC High story. I think it was a month into it, right? Yeah, you were, um, you were you know, just into oh it. Um, I'd done the summer, but the kids had only been back for a month. So really the school had only been in session. And uh, we're not really a school without the kids in it anyway. So let's just say it was a month at the time. And, um, and so I... As you know, I have a background in Jesuit education, so there's a lot that was familiar, right, in terms of the right. language piece. But I didn't know much about the BC High story, and honestly, it's been a really steep learning curve um, pretty much because the first year we were smashed with the pandemic, right? Yeah. So just as I was getting my feet under me or so it felt and really starting to get to know my colleagues and the kids, um, we were sort of separated. And so that was really difficult. Um, I don't want to spend a lot of time dwelling on that. Sure, sure. There's, been some real, there's actually been some real silver linings that have come out of the pandemic for us. And we can talk about that later. Yep. Um, but what? so what did I learn those first few months? Um, I learned that this is a place where people really uh, love the community. And I say that because every school I've worked in talks about community, right? That's just a word. And you'll hear the, the kids here and our adults talk about the importance of that. 
Um, that's an easy word to say. It's off. It's much harder to live that and feel it in the place. That was something I felt straight away, I have to say. So mm-hmm. the boys really love their place. They love their school. Uh, the relationship between the teachers and the adults in the building and the kids uh, was really strong. So I really felt that. Mm-hmm. Right? And for me, the reason, I don't know, there's a lot of reasons why I love working in Jesuit schools, but if I had to isolate one, it is that relationship piece, right? I think that our Jesuit schools and our Jesuit formation give us like a permission, almost like an imperative to put relationship at the centre. Mm. And so what I felt here in those first few months from people here was that that's what mattered to them as well. People knew each other well. They were committed uh, to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, that seems like a strange thing to say in a school, but when I say committed to each other, I mean committed to bringing the best out of each other or seeing the goodness in each other. Yeah. And I think that was really tested during the pandemic, right, when people became individually stressed and managed that in their own way and um, there was a tendency to become introspective and not always in a good way, right, because the pandemic, at least for me, pushed me into a place of fear, right? Like and that's not where I'm best. I'm the complete opposite. I'm very much sort of what's possible. Uh, and, and that was a really uncomfortable space for me. And I think for a lot of us and for our community at a time, right? So, um, but I think my initial learnings were, hey, this is an authentic community. It's it's distinctly Ignatian. It, it, it doesn't just talk the talk, it walks the walk, right? And yep. I think in the pandemic that even became clearer to me, right? When, 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 I, when that was tested yeah does that make sense yeah and and that absolutely makes sense but can you talk a little bit about how that manifested during the pandemic that commitment to each other bringing the best out of each other you know what were some of the things you saw that were inspiring about the community during during that time yeah i mean i think our faculty did extraordinary work during that time right um i guess the expression i used and still use about that time is the pandemic pushed us into a space where we had to hold on to each other for dear life. I mean, I'm saying that metaphorically, but you know what I mean. I absolutely know what you and mean. so I think we all experienced that in our families. Um, I experienced a lot with not being able to get home, for example, for five years or whatever it was, right? And and everyone has their own story about that. But within our BC, BC High Place, um, we had teachers, you know, when kids weren't turning up to Zoom rooms, like emailing, just trying to find, it was like this thread, right? We had this thread with each other and it was just tenuous. Yeah. And everyone, there was just this collective will just to to never have the thread broken, right? Or at least, I mean, everyone has their own language. That's how it felt to me the whole time. And at its worst, it was extraordinarily stressful. and honestly painful because we had boys who lost family members. At its best, it was honestly just inspiring. Um, And I don't use that word lightly. It was, you never ever want a community to be tested in that way, right? Yeah. But if we are a community that talks about relationship at its heart, and ultimately, like our relationships with each other, but ultimately our relationship with Christ, right, collectively and individually, because that's our ultimate that's our standard, right? Our standard is Christ. So I'm not sure that we're going to get a better test of that and what we hold dear than a context where we're physically separated from each other. 
And I think the way we held on to each other crystallised for me in a way that I didn't think was possible about what we value in our place. And that's each other and the people, um, the relationships we share, and also our responsibility while we're in the place to steward the school, right? Like I always say to the boys, um, it's their place. Like it's yours, right? It's going to be, it's your place in a way it will never be mine. It just won't be. It's your school. We exist for the kids, right? And sometimes that lands in a particular way with people, right? But I'm clear on that and I'm really unapologetic about it. But there's great responsibility that comes with that, right? So when you're here for four or six years, when our boys are here for four, six, two years, they have a responsibility to leave the school in a better place than they found it. So when you throw a pandemic in the mix and you're asking that of the boys, mm-hmm. And then we're, then we're then asking the adults to say, hey, walk with the boys through this and accompany them so they can do that, right, to steward it. I mean, my responsibility, like Steve used before me, was just to steward the school. Every adult has a responsibility. Every kid has a responsibility. I was so proud of the way the community responded individually and collectively when they were tested like that because it's an easy thing to say when things are great. But when you're tested... Yeah. And the very foundation upon what you, the community is built upon is rocked um, and to hold together um, is pretty special. I mean, you can even hear my voice, right? Like it's, it's as I'm talking about it. Yeah. And it's been actually a really wonderful springboard for what we've done. Like it, it's made us, in a way, it had this really, at least for me, a powerful recentering thing on what we treasure. Yeah. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. And and just to just to talk a little bit about just a couple more questions on the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in a position of of leadership at the school. I mean, you you've talked about yourself as a, a steward of the school, which I, I think is a great way to phrase it. But um I just want to ask, how did you think about your role as a leader? during the pandemic and, and kind of what did that look like? And then the, the second part of that question is, you know, everybody talked about the pandemic as unprecedented and it was, yeah. I mean, yeah. it just was, but was there anything that you have experienced, witnessed, uh, been a part of in your past that prepared you to help uh, kind of lead through the pandemic? Um, I'm not sure anything could prepare me for that. I have been in schools where we've had to deal with really serious crises, right? Yeah. Um, I would still say, you know, the death of a, of a current student is worse than any pandemic. Um, I don't think I've ever, I mean, that's the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with. And I've unfortunately had to deal with that um, in each of the Jesuit schools I've worked apart from one. And uh, there's nothing that, Sorry. It's okay. There's nothing worse, I don't think, than that. Um, And so I think, you know, strange way dealing with that crisis, right, despite the the difference in the context of a pandemic, um, I guess had built some sort of resilience or some capacity to deal with unforeseen circumstances, right, or tragedy for want of a better expression. So... Um, I think that's the only thing the only thing that I can point to. The one thing I will say is as the pandemic went on, it felt simpler because while the learning and the community looked different, the principles didn't shift, right? Like when it first happened, I thought, God, you know, like 
not as though we threw everything out the window, but it was, I didn't go to that place. I didn't go to the very things that make us us, right? I was going to, God, how are we going to get in front of the kids? How yep. are they going to continue their learning? How are, the, <laughs> how are the kids that don't have good homes, how are we going to look after them, wrap our arms around them, right? Really practical stuff. And the practical stuff honestly felt really overwhelming because how are we going to do this? Now, we did it beautifully and our faculty were phenomenal and then the leadership team did an incredible job. But it simplified over time and it didn't simplify over time just because we got used to it. As we, the more we did it, the more we realized that, yeah, okay, it looks and feels a bit different, but the very thing on which we're rooted hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. It just hasn't, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. we're still committed to forming a particular type of man here. Now, if it's on a screen or, or if it's some distal thing, like we're still trying to do that. And there was a real comfort in that. Mm-hmm. And so that was really, that was a really good um, learning and leadership for me because, you know, I'm always learning and, and one of the things, I, I, at least my experience of really good leaders, they're people who can always bring you back to the value piece, right? So, and it doesn't always have to be exclated, but it's always they can bring a group back in a way, right? And I think when the community feels those things, there's a, there's a reassurance and a confidence that goes with that. Certainly for the first month of the pandemic, I feel as though I lost that a bit, right? Yeah. And, um, and I don't mean that as an excuse, just the reality. No, it was, it just happened, right? and it was a very confusing time. I mean, yeah. you just, we, we didn't know what, how long it was going to be, what the deal was, how bad it was. You know, I totally understand. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I think that was, that was really illuminating for me. And, um, and, uh, so yeah, I, 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 I just wasn't prepared for it. Um, <laughs> but I have to say, I, I mean, I did think often, yeah, I, oh, this sounds weird. I'm just going to say it, right? So, of all the places you could be stuck in a pandemic in terms of work, like, this is a pretty good place to be stuck. Because, I mean, honestly. Because, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> because, like, we're a community that talks about, like, just openly. I, I stand in front of the kids and talk about how I want them, above all, to be loving men, right? I mean, yeah. so, you know, if I work in a place that wasn't based on that stuff, um, I think you could... Be really, become really rudderless and really low really quickly, right? And I, I had moments of complete and utter rudderlessness, right? And and real low points. Yeah. But you know, beyond obviously my beautiful family, to be able to each day get up and connect with people who really loved each other, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's not. It's not it's not bad. It's not bad. Right? <laughs> no. know, I, and this isn't just sort of me trying to find something good. No, it's no. Just, it's I, just how I felt. No, that's great. Yeah, so, no, that's wonderful. I, mean, I hated being at home. I'm not a sit at home behind the computer kind of guy, right? I mean, I, I frustrate people here all the time because I just I hate sitting in front of a screen. I'm about and chatting. And, yeah. Um, and so that was hard. Yeah. Um, but every day our leadership team would meet, right? Like we meet first thing in the morning, go through the day, and invariably – and. Uh, I have to say that uh, like that was pretty beautiful because every time I – it was just half an hour at the beginning of every day and then we got off and did our things and checked in with people and did all that. But I, I think I, I recall almost every day going, wow, like I'm pretty lucky to be yeah. doing that, this with these people. Yeah, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So so you've, you've talked about this a little bit in, in some of your responses. Um the, the pandemic kind of illuminated stuff for you, centered stuff. What, what coming out of the pandemic, yeah. 
what are some of the things that you, you know, that, that we were able to, or that you kind of led incorporating into our community? You know, I want, I want you to talk about those. Yeah. Well, I think there's, I mean, I don't separate these things, but there were some really instructive pieces from us in terms of the academic piece and teaching and learning and also the care piece and how we look after our kids. Yeah. Um, and I, I never, ever separate those things, right? For me, care and learning go hand in hand. They should do in any school, but it's non-negotiable in the Jesuit school, right? Yeah. Um, schools do talk about those things discreetly. Yeah. They shouldn't, but they do it because <laughs> it makes sense, right? I mean, yeah. you know, the, the care stuff's over here and the teaching and learning happens in the classroom. Right. That's rubbish, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's complete rubbish. Um, <laughs> but we still do it. I'm embarrassed to say educators across the world still do this and schools still do this. Yes, right? yeah. So, as I said, one of the things that really came out of it is um, – the centrality of relationship in all we do. Yes. Right? And so it pushed, I think, a really big conversation about this concept of academic rigor. And I, like when I say that, I'm, I don't want to take credit for this, right? So really this work has been driven by um, Alison MacDonald as our Vice Principal of Teaching and Learning, right? Yep. With support from Tom Smith, who's our Dean of Teaching and Learning, Bob Hamlet, who's, who runs our middle school, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, through the pandemic, I think we said, like, what, so what, look, what, all we hear about from BC High is about it's such a rigorous school, right? And it is. Yes. Academic rigorous school. And it'll always be an academic. Absolutely. So I challenge a bit of that in terms of what we understand rigor to be. Hmm. And when I first arrived here, what I was told about academic rigor, it's time on task, it's assessments, it's a lot of homework. That's it. And those things matter, right? Yeah. Because there's a discipline that, go with, that goes with all of those things. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But I also felt a tension around because what I hear some of the boys say is we work, we work, we work. Our experience is transactional. Like some of the boys said that. Like that was their word, not mine, right? Hmm. Um, I was going, geez, you know, like there's a little bit of a disconnect here because the last thing we want our men to be when they leave here is transactional, superficial, right? I mean, I couldn't think of anything worse if our boys, like we don't want them to be like that as men and we don't want them to live their life like that. And so at least in our context, academic rigour is really – are characterized by depth and relationship, right? Um, I always say that, you know, if our boys, if the information we give them resides only in their head, we're not doing our job. Like, that's any school. For, for us to do what we want to do and for our academic program to be rigorous in a, tr- in a true Ignatian way, it has to move from the head to the heart, right? So it has to move them and then push them into action. For that to happen, the relationship with the teacher needs to be so strong. Mm-hmm. It needs to be trusting. And the teachers need to teach their stuff in a way that isn't just here's stuff to remember and regurgitate on an assessment. Here's stuff that you internalize, that you reflect upon, that you discern, that will move your heart and therefore make you a better man. Now, I know how idealistic that sounds. It's a lot, right? Um, but I know we've got teachers here and I expect them that – when a boy walks into their class, I don't care what they're learning. Exponential logarithms, periodic table, don't care, right? I need to believe that 45 minutes later when they walk out of the class, they're a better man, right? Now, as I say that, you've got to be saying, you're kidding, right? But I honestly, <laughs> be- so a couple of things. I want them to do it and I believe that they do. Yeah. And if they're going in and there are boys here who love exponential logarithms, sure, right? I didn't. 
but I didn't either. Yeah, it's not, it was, <laughs> listen, it just wasn't my goal. Apologies to the math department. Yeah. Apologies. It wasn't my goal at all, right? <laughs> yeah. But I know that there's boys who go in there and because of the way our teachers teach them exponential logarithms and because of the care that they show them and the attention they give them, that they will become better people through that experience. Now, that is rigorous, right? Mm-hmm. Rigor isn't only just entrance standardized test scores. It is definitely. It isn't just GPAs. It's part of it. It has to be more of it, right? And I believe that if we prioritize relationship and depth at rigor, the boys do perform better on those things anyway. Mm-hmm. It's just a fact. If you look at it, the boys who are engaged with us, who give, bring their hearts in here every day, who are involved across the whole spectrum of activities here in the school, they're the ones with the top GPAs, right? It's just a fact. Yep. I could draw your line now from last year's graduates. Yeah, I could show the individual kid who are going to whatever you think the best universities are, yep. and they're the kids who do that. They're the kids who have deep and meaningful relationships with their teachers. So... That wasn't, I don't think, I don't know your experience here, but I don't think that was always explicated. I didn't feel it was explicated when I was here to talk about care and learning, right? Um, and I'm really proud of the work that's happened at Academic, Academic Council. Like we, in the, in the pandemic, we changed the schedule. We put in some long blocks so there could be some pedagogical differences. So teachers could seek that depth more, right? Yeah. Um, now, just small things like um, student surveys. Tom Smith's leading a subcommittee of academic council. Like we, we try piloted student surveys last year where the kids give feedback to their teachers about their own experience of learning. It's not saying, hey, I need this to get to an A. It's, hey, how did I experience you? Yeah. What was my experience of you and the relationship that we share through that common ground? Yeah. It's pretty awesome, right? That's awesome. I mean, Bob Hamlet and Arupe – um, does these student-led conferences, right? They're freakishly good. So, <laughs> I mean, I did it as a parent last year, right? Um, I mean, I couldn't believe it. I had this, a, a seventh grader sitting there for half an hour with a pair to, reflecting on how he learned, right, and what he learned about himself through the process of learning. I mean, this is a kid who, who hadn't talked about his learning in 12 months, right? And so um, is that rigorous? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's as rigorous as it gets, right? Oh, absolutely. And so, um, <laughs> but I think that what Alison McDonald's done at Academic Council has been really remarkable, right? And I don't, it's not just her, it's our department chairs. Like, they've, they've really stepped into a space where they're not just talking about the administration of curriculum, right? Because mm-hmm. that has to happen in every school. Sure. They're really reflective on how we best teach and therefore form our kids. Mm-hmm. And that's a much harder conversation. Right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. It's a yeah. much harder conversation to say, hey, why do we do what we do and how do we do it? Right. Rather than what we do. You can talk about the what we do every year. I mean, you can talk about Sure. Um, and then they're all related, but I've been really, um, really proud of that work, right? And, and I have to say that a lot of that came out of, you know, what I said before, that crystallizing of, you know, yeah, we want our kids to go to great colleges and they do and they always will. But above all, we we want them to be really outstanding men, right, in terms of their values and convictions. And when we were separated, how we held on to that and how we value relationship really, I think, almost pushed us into the space to say, right, okay, so that, that, let's open that conversation up about rigour. And it's not an easy conversation, I'll say, because... For some folks, rigor is just, hey, let's look at where our kids go to college. Let's look at the GPAs. Right. Assessment, assessment, assessment. And that's okay. And that's all part of it. 
Yeah. And I would never compromise any of those things. Sure, 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 sure. Right? Yeah. But we all... I'm older than you, Rick, I'm sure, right? But when I grew up in the 80s and 90s, this, this is just what you did. You were told what to remember, you put it on a test, and you got through it, right? Yeah. But I also lived, lived in a different world. I mean, our young men nowadays, I would hate to live in the world they live in, right? The level of scrutiny, um, how how they have to, I say this all the time, they have to go into their heart to, to discern what's real in a way I never had to it. 14, 13, 14, 15 years ago. I just didn't have to, right? Right. Because my whole life wasn't on display. <laughs> so I could make mistakes. I could get it wrong. I could be confused. Right. I could be rudderless and not be judged. Um, they don't, they kind of don't have that luxury. And so if they don't come in here each day and feel loved and connected, right, um, it's, a, it's a real problem. And I, there's so I worry so much about our boys, right? And I say but I worry about young people, but here it's boys, mm-hmm. so yep. that's my concern. Yep. And I worry about them because the incidence of depression and anxiety it's only increasing, right? Yeah. Um, and so, why do I say that in relation to this question? Because when we're talking about rigor and depth and so on, I'm not separating those things because if they're connected to us, if they walk into a classroom where they know that the teacher cares about them beyond the content, which is what our teachers do here beautifully, it impacts them. I mean, you go speak to any kid here, right? I implore you, go have a conversation with a boy at lunch and say, hey, tell me about your favourite subject or tell me about some learning you've done recently that really impacted or moved your heart, right? I'll say that to them, I'll use that language. And I can guarantee they will talk about the teacher themselves. They will talk about how the teacher impacted them. You have to remind them and say, hey, what, so what did they actually teach you? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They will go straight to the teacher and how the teacher themselves has moved them, yeah. right, or inspired them or looked after them. And that's no different to boys 50 years ago, 60 years ago. It's what we know from boys. Relationship and connection trumps all. Yeah. Right? That's what they do. Sure. Right? Um, Absolutely. And so I think that the pandemic and the conversation academic council is really allowed to to do this, but it's not an easy one because I think historically we've always had really bright kids here. <laughs> They're bloody hard working. Yes, they are. I talk to the alumni and say, oh, there'll be alumni say, I hated my time at BC High, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Of course, <laughs> when I got to college, it was so much easier, right? <laughs> and I, part of me really likes that. I do, but I don't want kids on my watch to say that 15, 20 years down the track because the world's changed. Yeah. Right? I'd almost say about my school, right? Like, yeah, yeah it was hard, but. Yeah. It's good for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want our boys in 20 say, hey, I loved every moment of that school. Yeah. It was hard. Yeah. I was challenged, but I was so connected there because I think in 2023, every young person needs that, right? We probably needed it 30 years ago. We just didn't know it, right? Yeah. Um, but it is, um, it's a different world. So, I mean, I think that, so that's the, the teaching and learning piece. So we, we've done some really big stuff on the care and well-being, you know, with the house system. So I don't yeah, I want to, I want to talk about that. So, Talk us through that, you know, it, it, coming out of the pandemic, how that got all started, you know, and yeah. where it is today. I mean, it's grown. It's it's it it, it sounds like it's up and running in and, and a lot yeah. of wonderful ways. So, yeah. yeah, just go for it. Yeah, so that's the, the house system. And it's not separate to this conversation around teaching. It's, right. It's still the same fundamentals about relationship, right? Um, yeah. Um, and care. So one of the things that struck me when I got to, um, to BC High was 
it was too easy. I should have said this in the first question. You know, ask me my, my key learnings. They're all coming back to me. No, no, so, it's all good, you know. <laughs> all right. so, so anyway, when I got here, one of the things is that the school felt big to me. Mm-hmm. It is big. It is big. You're right. So 1,453 boys, were like, it's a lot. That's a, that is a lot. A lot yeah. of boys. Yeah. And, and they're, they're beautiful kids, but they're big and there's a lot of them, right? <laughs> so, so it felt big to me. And... And I think it felt big to, to a lot of kids. Mm. And I was worried that they weren't some, – some kids were anonymous, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. And that's not to say they weren't known in their classrooms and so on. Or with the, with the, their group of friends or whatever. Yeah. Absolutely. It, just, it was hard for them, right? And so I felt – a kid could walk in here every day. They could go to their first class. They could keep their head down. They could go through the day. They could engage with the teacher through the content. Um, and then the end of the day, they could leave. Yep. Right. And beyond the teacher in their content area, they may not have engaged with another person in conversation. Right? Sure. Sat with a mate at lunch. Um, another teacher might have asked. I, I know the t- I know the kids you're talking about because yeah. we had we had some in our class who, I, who are coming to mind right now. I could name them, but I'm not yeah. going to. Yeah. But I could name them, and I know exactly who you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. And for a lot of our kids, they're going to be fine in any school. Chucking in school, eight eight thousand kids are going to be fine. Yeah, they're going to figure out That's how to fine. do it. Yeah, exactly. But for a lot of kids, they don't, they're not. Right. And so we had to get creative about how we make the school smaller. And so people have, our community's heard me say a lot. The biggest challenge, I feel as though the biggest challenge I have as a leader in a Jesuit school is to marry the words and the action, right? Mm. So. The Jesuit, we have beautiful Jesuit language, like this. I said, the stunning <laughs> vernacular, like and Kura Personalis, and Ignatian Pedagogical Paradigm. You roll them off. I keep rolling off. Sure, try. And it's all this beautiful thing. It sounds so gorgeous, right? Yeah. <laughs> but if, if you don't actually do it, it's rubbish. And so sure. BCI does it, but there's always going to be a disconnect between action and word. I'd say my uh, action, yeah, words. So I used to bring those worlds as closer together. And one of the things that probably, like, so in Ignatian Pedagogy, which is our way of teaching, right? But it's more, it's not a formulaic thing. It's our way of relating to the kids, right? Mm. Um, we start with context. So we say to our teachers, to form our boys, you, you must know them, right? Uh-huh. And yet I wasn't convinced that every boy, at least in the high school, was known as I would hope. Mm. And so we had to find a way of making the school small. So we came up with this. The house system is very common where I come from, right? It's a hangover from the British Empire. Um, used to be used in boarding schools and so on, and then they realised not a good thing in boarding schools, the vertical integration, the hazing, whole lot of horrible stuff. Yep. But they realised that in all boys' day schools, it still has a place. Yeah. Right? And so this place is built for a house system because there's 1,400 boys there's nowhere more like patriotic or um, like, like the Boston kids. I don't know if it's because of the history of the sport teams, whatever. Like they want to belong to something, right? They're yeah. Really. Yeah. Like, and when I met these kids, I was going, "Oh, this is." They want their own little place, their own little crew, right? Yeah. And so, <laughs> so it was always going to work from that point of view. So we created twelve houses and physically divided the school up, right? And yeah. we, we selected house patrons and 
Um, the boys selected them. We put them out there. We voted on them. Um, and we came up with these really six Jesuit saints and six non-Jesuit saints, um, all people who animate the, the, the mission of a Jesuit school. And the boys came up with the colours and the crests. Colby and Thompson suited designed these crests. The crests were, were difficult for me because I wanted the old heraldry stuff and <laughs> theirs were a little flashy and contemporary, but we are also building house systems. We're not eating building it in 1413. Right, right, so exactly. In 2023. So, <laughs> you know, so that was... Of all the things, that was difficult for me to accept. Um, I love that. I love that. But anyway, we've got these flashy, sexy crests all around the screen. And all these bloody colors. It's, it's great. Like, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I, I love it. And um, and so, but either way, it was the boys doing it. Like, yeah. They did it. They own it. They created it. Yeah. The mottos. And then all the adults be coming along to, to a house. Like, I'm in Xavier House. Um, I have my own little advisory group I love. Um, they're stuck with me. They didn't like it at first. I think I'm growing on them. But, you know, it's – so – but the whole the whole premise of it was to create spaces where boys had their own little sanctuary in the school, their own community within a community. When they walked into that house space, they had a house, 12 heads a house. They teach two sections. The rest of their time is to look after their boys. Yeah. Um, know those kids inside out. Know their context. It's amazing. Out. That's their responsibility. My 12 in my advisory group, my job is just to know those kids inside out. And yep. so it makes a huge difference. And there's a there's definitely a fun part to it, but I'm always I'm always careful of that because that trivializes or diminishes it, right? They do fun house activities. Yeah. And that's all about connection. Sure. But this isn't a place for a party, right? That's <laughs> what a house this that has that component. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not why we didn't put a house in place so the kids have more fun. Like if that's what comes out of it. And the fun is generated from deeper relationships with each other and boys stepping into leadership and, and doing different things, and that's great. Right. But that's not why the house system was put in Understood. place. Understood. Yep. And um, the other big piece for me, um, I guess, so I'm really, I feel very passionately about um, our boys being leaders, right? Yeah. I've always felt passionately about that in every Jesuit school I've worked in. I felt passionate about that myself when I was a student at school, you know, in Amara school. But I feel, I reflect on this a lot. It really matters to me now because of the leadership that exists outside these walls, right? Um, like I don't like it. I don't like the leadership I see outside. You know, it's it's superficial. It's selfish. It's divisive. Uh, and we want our boys to lead in the complete opposite way. So... We want it to be rooted in service and selflessness and humility uh, and on the model of Christ, right? I don't see a lot of that outside. I just don't. Mm-hmm. And so we are, we're looking to do that in here with our kids. And when I was thinking about what opportunities do we have to really do that, and we've got the wonderful Mike White Centre for Leadership and, and Paul's doing wonderful work there and Jen before him, Um but the house gives opportunities for all our boys to step up and lead. And I, look, I'm not best. Like Jen Manning's the she's the house. She's done all this right. She's set all this up. Yeah, she's phenomenal. So I feel a bit embarrassed speaking about this because she's the one who should speak about it and would articulate it better than me. But I'd imagine she'd say something like this, right? Because she also ran the leadership center. That. You don't need to have the loudest voice or be the best athlete to be the most outstanding leader, right? 
you need to have the clearest heart. You need to know what you value. You need to have the courage to act on your convictions in small and big ways. You need to take moments to be present that aren't always visible but matter. Um, and we've got boys here who do that every day who I guarantee would never describe that as leadership. Mm -hmm. And what happens in a house when you've got a group of 80 kids who know each other across four grade levels, you see boys articulating that in different ways, right? So even conversations with my advisory group, the way they're identifying leadership within a year is fundamentally different. Mm -hmm. Like they're saying, hey, that kid's a really good leader because he's selfless. Or, or that kid, you know, like, he does so much stuff that no one even knows. Right, he's the kid in the house area at the end of the day will go pick up the rubbish off the floor or will put his hand up, you know, do registration or whatever it may be. Yep. Small things. Yep. And I love the fact that our boys are identifying that as leadership. Now, don't get me wrong, there's a public and visible part of leadership. And getting up and speaking, I said, that's fine. But our leadership should and will never be defined by those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Yeah. And so, I mean, on our mission statement, it explicates pretty much every Jesuit school in the world has something about forming leaders. Yeah, I'm really comfortable now with the house system that we're doing that much more intentionally. That's fantastic. Mm. I, I honestly wish the house system was in place when I was here. That would have been awesome. Yeah, that just sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it and is. just and just a wonderful way to have yeah. kind of a community within a community. But, yeah, it is. It is. But look, it creates its own tension. And I'm not going to pretend after a year it's the perfect model, right? Yeah, it never will be because it involves a lot of humans. Yeah, and um, but. What I will say is the boys have led it and the, the adults have, have led it in a way that I, I, I never thought it would be this good so quickly. And that's only to do with the people involved in it. And I, I will always be thankful to last year's graduating class, right? So they were a group that pretty much had their whole high school experience smashed up by the pandemic. Yep. And so in their junior year, I went across to every one of their ethics sections and met with each class. And I said to them, Hey, I know you've had a rough run, but in your final year, we're going to put this in place. I mean, they could have lost their mind on that, right? Yep. And some of them did. <laughs> it's fair to say. And there was a collective skepticism about it. Sure, of but course. Guys, right? and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they stepped up. They didn't know what they were walking into. Uh, they owned the space and. It's really beautiful because it's in a special way it's going to be their legacy, right? Yes. Um, but they didn't see that at the time. They had college in front of them. Oh, for they had sure. All these things in front of them, but their collective—just um, they were so unselfish, right? They didn't go like they didn't go to themselves. They said, "If this is good for the school, even though they're going to have a year of it, and they knew it was going to be a mess, and it was a mess, honestly, <laughs> but they just did it and." So I think that that group will always have a really special place in my heart. Yeah, uh, and I said that to them when they graduated. But I, I also hope over time they will they'll have a really special place in the heart of the school, right? Um, because makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I'm, I'm loath. I, I'm very. I'm loath to compare grade levels, and I, I'm like I can't handle it when people label grade levels, right? Like I don't like that. Um, so I, I don't do this lightly when I talk about them. Yeah, but I am really, uh, I really love them for that. That was really beautiful. Yeah, you 
Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So I, I want to um, make sure we just touch on the present. Um, we're, we're a few days into school. Yeah. Uh, just started. Yeah. What's in front of you? What are you excited about? What do we got going on with the, the students this year? You know, yeah. I want I, I want to hear. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm excited about the beginning of every school year. <laughs> um, I think the, the, the real embedding of the house system is a big thing this year. I mean, yep. already the people know their way. So I, I really believe that the kids are going to benefit more from that this year. Uh, I think in the academic space, a real priority for us is really supporting our teachers. So I worry about teachers generally. So one of the things from the pandemic, internationally speaking, is the teaching profession is really struggling. Yes. So a lot of teachers stepped out of teaching, right, um, because of the trauma of teaching during the pandemic. Sure. I mean, it was a traumatic experience for teachers. And so with all this work we're talking about, if, if, if we're having some paradigm shift in terms of academic rigor here, a real priority for me is how do we best form our adults to form our kids? You know what I mean? Yep. And so – one of the things we have to look at is, you know, at the moment I think our teacher evaluation process is pretty summative, right? Um, how, do, how do we make it more formative? How do we make sure our teachers are part, the central part of that conversation and what support do we put around them? So um, I think we've moved that. Certainly when I came here, I felt we were much too operational academics and we've made some changes in my team in terms of the leadership and really being much more strategic in that space. And a lot of that was hard during the pandemic, but I think we're now got a good platform to really do that work now in terms of, um, you know, so if you're a, and we've got some really great new teachers in the building to complement our already like, established awesome veterans, right? Yep. So how do we make sure that it's individualised and a first-year teacher is mapped out in terms of, hey, this is how we're going to support you and this is how you're going to grow, as opposed to someone who's been here 40 years who still needs support, right? Yep. Um, and still needs to be inspired. And I think that not just BC High, but most schools can tend to generalise when they do that. And so I think that's, that is a real priority for me because I know the single biggest impact on our kids is our teachers. If we don't support them um, and if we don't have the right pro process of formation they're from, then that's going to be hard it, it, at a time when teaching the profession is struggling. Yes, absolutely. That worries me a lot. That's sort of a 3 a.m. wake up one, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So I think they're the priorities. I mean, yeah, the, the other thing um, we talked about is, you know, we've got, um, you know, the, the composition of our student body is one I think about a lot, you know. Um, I think when you're in school, Dorchester looked different, right? Yes. And so I worry that we have so few kids from Dorchester in our building. Mm. So, or Boston. So if we're, if we're a city school, how, how, how does our... And I love that we are. It's one of the things I really love, right? Yeah. Does our school really reflect that? Gotcha. Um, and so that goes to enrollment. It talks about how we can support the type of kids we bring in here. Um, and that's what, that's also really hard as well because we want a, a, a diverse student body, right? Yes. Geographical, race, all those things. But there's also, like, what responsibility do we have? What what moral responsibility do we have about kids who, like, in terms of neurodiversity, right? Like, so we now have kids in our school, I don't know the exact numbers, there's probably over 200 kids who have individual education plans now, right, who, who have um, learning differences. Yep. 
that can be hard in a historically really high academic school. So we, we are still going to have that high, high academic standard, but we've got kids in the building now who have beautiful hearts, alignment of values, who we know are going to be outstanding men, who learn differently. We know that, right? Yeah. And we should have those kids in the building. But that requires work, right? Uh, yeah. Great work in a different way. We don't want to have a homogenous student body. And so you ask me what excites me. That excites me. Yeah. But it also, well, it's pretty scary. Yes. You know, yeah. Because I don't want any kid to come in here and don't feel as though, A, they don't belong or they're not supported. And that requires really intentional work. So I'm not sure if I'm making sense on that. but that, You're making a lot of sense. That, that justice piece, right? We've done a lot of work in terms of our equity, equity inclusion work. We had to. Um, but I, ours is one that ho- promotes a faith that does justice, right? If the kids don't see that in the lived experience of the faith in front of them every day, uh, we're not actually going to we're not going to achieve that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I feel a little nebulous on that. But there's, do you know what I'm? No, you, you I, yeah. I, I, I absolutely understand. Yeah. 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 No, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anything else you want to plug or you want to talk about today? I want to make sure we, we give you space if there's anything you want to no, put out there. No, I, mean, it's, it's, I, I don't think so. I mean, I'm very happy here, as you can probably tell. Yes, I can tell. I, for the for the folks listening, uh, Adam was very animated through this whole conversation in a great way, in a great way. It's just feel the passion coming out of you. That's what's wonderful. So I just want to say thank you for Thanks. taking the time out of your schedule. Another just great conversation. Every time I talk to you, I... I feel ready to run through a brick wall. Uh, and I just feel really good uh, about the school and everything that's going on. So thank you so much. And um, we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. That does it for this episode of Back to the Point. Thank you to Principal Adam Lewis for coming on and just getting me fired up about everything that's going on uh, at PC High. I'm, I'm excited. Um, Really appreciate him taking time and, and sitting down with me. So this was awesome. Uh, thank you to Kelly Manine, who just can't 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 say enough about all the work she's done to help us uh, get this off the ground again and, and relaunch the the podcast. So thank you to Kelly. Thank you to Kristen Brophy, our fairy pod mother, for all of her help in editing these and getting them uh, into uh, a state where I sound smart. So I really appreciate that. Um, and thank you to all of you for listening. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, our next podcast, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Is that all right, Kelly? Can I do it? All right. I'm going to, our next podcast is president Grace Cotter Regan. Uh, just an awesome conversation with her, just talking about the state of the school and everything that's going on and, and just really exciting time on campus. Um, so you have that to look forward to, uh, that's what's coming up. We'll talk to you soon.